I'm going to get out of this stool one of these days here. <laughs> kind of got in the habit when we were uh, not meeting in person, but we're, we're, we got to adjust the lights and do a few things to try to get it back to normal, but uh, we'll do that soon. And uh, just want to thank Abby for playing this morning. Susan's gone, Steve's gone. As you guys, if you know me, like getting up here and playing guitar and singing, that's way harder for me than getting up here and preaching. So uh, I'll be glad when Steve's back next week. And thanks, Abby, for filling in. We appreciate that. Well, as most of you know, this last year, I mean, the effects of COVID have been devastating, right? I mean, think about it. I think this week here in the United States, we passed 600,000 deaths. And around the world, the number is somewhere pretty close to 4 million. And uh, that doesn't count all the people. I mean, you guys probably know some of them, those that are still impacted, still living with the effects of having had COVID. But I'm not sure that, that's the, that the physical impact is, is the worst. I mean, there have been all kinds of studies that have been done that show people feel much more lonely right now, that they're, they're kind of isolated. Um, you know, all the mask wearing and the physical distancing. I mean, I'm not a big hugger myself, but I, even I'm longing to hug other people and shake their hands and just have that physical contact. So, so it's not surprising that that's happened. What is surprising to me, th- this is just kind of interesting when I was doing some research this week, is in spite of all the, the claims you may have heard to the contrary, for some reason, suicide rates are actually down in the United States over the last year and a half or so, rather than than increasing. So it's it's really strange. But but no doubt people are feeling alone. They've been isolated, you know, Zoom meetings and, and all the things that we've gone through. And so it's real easy to, to feel isolated. And and the fact is that that's not a new problem. It's not it's something that's been around. As we're going to see this morning, it goes back to the time when the Psalms were written. And so this morning, we're going to continue in our series, Psalms, the Language of Prayer, and we're going to see not only were people lonely back then and feeling all alone, but we're going to see the good news in that is that we can pray to God, we can take those feelings to God, and that God can take and, and turn those around in our lives. And so we're going to look at that this morning as we continue our look in some of these, these prayers that we've been looking at in the Psalms. Now, before we do that, though, I want to give you a little bit of background of the Psalms that I think is going to be really important to help us understand the passage that we'll look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out, open up to Psalm 42. We're going to be looking at that Psalm and the one following it in just a moment. But uh, as you do that, as you open up to Psalm 42, you'll see that right before that Psalm, most of you will have a heading in your Bible that will say, Book 2. And you might be wondering, well, why is that there? What does it mean, book two? Well, when the Psalms were, were written, they were written over a long period of time. They were written by a bunch of different authors. And at some point in time, nobody really knows exactly when or who did it, but somebody took all those Psalms, the 150 or so Psalms that, we, that were existing, and they combined them and they put them into one book. And they probably wrote Psalms 1 and 2 as an introduction to the book, and they probably wrote Psalm 150 as, as kind of a conclusion, but then they divided them into five books. And those five books were designed to probably match up with the first five books of the Bible. We know that as the, the Torah or the Pentateuch. 
And it's really amazing if you look in these, these five books of the Psalms, you will see that each of those do really correspond. So that means that book two, the one we're going to look at today, the Psalms are in book two, that, that corresponds to the book of Exodus. And what is the book of Exodus about? It's about God redeeming and saving his people out of slavery. And you're going to see that a lot of the Psalms in book two will have that kind of theme behind it. Even the one we're going to look at today, we're going to see how, how God can redeem us and how he can save us and bring us out of those times when we really feel alone. You'll also notice that many of the Psalms have a title to them, what's, what technically is known as a superscription. And that that title or that superscription, it'll tell us something about the psalm. Sometimes it tells us who it's addressed to. Sometimes it'll tell us the author. Sometimes it'll tell us the circumstances in which the author wrote. Not all the psalms have them, as we'll see in just a moment, but, but many of them do. So with that background in mind, let me go ahead and read for us Psalm 42 and 43. I was going to just uh, cover Psalm 42 this morning, but in a moment I'll share with you why I think we also need to look at Psalm 43 at the same time. So you can go ahead and follow along as I read. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love. At night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why don't you go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now I want to look first at the... Uh, the superscription here to Psalm 42. And you'll notice the first thing it says here, it's addressed to the choir master. So we know that this was, was used in the worship of Israel. It was probably sung in their, in their worship 
um, services as they got together to worship God, their corporate worship gatherings, and they would sing that. I suppose if this was written today, this same psalm, it would be addressed probably to Steve Ponzo or, or maybe to the worship team, because that's who it was addressed to, those who were leading in the worship. The second thing it says here is that it's a maskil. And if you were paying close attention last week, you will notice that Psalm 32 was also labeled as a maskil. And and you probably have a footnote in your Bible that says something like it's a, it's a musical term, and it may be. We don't really know what it is. What we do know is that the underlying Hebrew word is a word that means to, to make someone wise or to instruct someone. And so probably what this was, it was a psalm that was intended to instruct people or to, to make them wise. And then finally, you'll notice that it's addressed either of or to the sons of Korah, depending on what translation you're using. And, and that's really interesting, that who are the sons of Korah? Well, Korah, if you go all the way back to the, to the book of Numbers, he's the one who created a, a rebellion against uh, Moses when the people of Israel were out in the wilderness. And so God killed Korah and, and the other ones who were involved in that rebellion, but his sons were saved. And their ancestors eventually became kind of the worship leaders in the congregation. We know by the time of David from First Chronicles that, that they were leading the, the, the music, really, in the worship time there in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. Now, most people attribute the, the authorship of this psalm to David. Traditionally, he's, he's the author, which means if that's true, then this is really should be to the sons of Korah rather than of the sons of Korah. They were probably the recipients of this psalm rather than the ones who actually, who actually wrote it. And, and, and we can't be sure of that, but just to make things simple this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just refer to David as the author of this psalm so you don't have to hear me say the psalmist a hundred times this morning. So we'll just use David. That'll be a little bit simpler. Now I want you to look at the superscription for Psalm 43. What does it say? Good, I'm glad. If if you have a Bible that has a superscription, somebody else put it in there. (laughs) There's not one there, which is one of the reasons that a lot of people, a lot of biblical scholars, and I tend to agree with them, they think Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were originally one psalm that somehow got split into two. That's supported by the fact that If you go back to a lot of the old Hebrew manuscripts, they were actually included together as one psalm. And for me, here's the the thing that really seals it. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 43. Does that look familiar to you? Where else do you see that verse? See it back in Psalm 42, right? Two times in verses 5 and in verse 11 again. That is the only place in the scripture we find that phrasing or even anything really close to it, which again kind of ties those two together. So, so I, that's why I'm, we're kind of tying using both of these this morning because they probably were originally this one psalm. And when we do that and when we think about the, the whole idea that's expressed in both these psalms together, here's the main idea that I think is expressed there and the one we're going to look at this morning and that is this. When I'm feeling all alone, it's more important to pursue God than to pursue a plan. It's more important to pursue God than to pursue a plan. I mean, most of the time in our lives, not only when we're alone or feeling alone, but when we have any kind of problems, what do we tend to do? We want to make a plan to fix it, right? Especially us men. We're really good at that. And here on Father's Day, you know, 
thank you, fathers, and, and we honor you for what you do. But let's face it, guys, we always want to fix everything, right? And all of us tend to do that too. But here the psalmist doesn't do that. The first thing he does, right in the very first two verses, he says, you know, God, I'm feeling all alone, but the first thing I'm doing is I'm going to seek after you. And he says, I'm going to seek after you like a, like a thirsty deer pants for water. I've seen that personally, what that looks like here over the last few months. I mean, usually we have a bunch of deer that kind of feed in the, on the hill down below our house there out in the common area, and we haven't seen them for a while. And the reason is, is that hill is dry. There is no water. There's nothing green anywhere. So what have they done? They've gone to where they can find water. My guess is probably some of the golf courses in the area that water their grass. But they've, they've gone somewhere to find water. And, and that's what the psalmist says. He says, that's what David says. He says, I'm, I'm seeking you, God, like that. The circumstances of this psalm certainly fit in with what David was going through and when he would have been alone. Yeah, his own son Absalom uh, creates this, this great chaos and, and this violent overthrow of David, his father. And so David has to run from his own son. And, and as he's doing that, he had to be all alone. He couldn't be with his family. As a matter of fact, his own son's trying to kill him. He couldn't be with his friends. He says here, I couldn't even worship with the people that I usually worship with. And, and so he was all alone. He says, but I'm not going to come up with a plan for that, God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to seek after you. And that's the same thing for us. When we're all alone, it can be real easy to try to find some kind of activity to get involved in or something to do or come up with some kind of plan when what we really need to do is to seek God and to pursue Him. And one of the best ways that we can do that, as we've been talking about in this entire series, is that we can pray to God. And fortunately for us, Davis give, David gives us here a pattern or some, some, some clues as to how we can pray when we're feeling all alone. So let's look at those this morning. Let's look at how can I pray when I'm feeling all alone. The first thing that I need to do is that I need to make sure I know God personally. If you've been with us at any time at all here at Thornydale Family Church, you know how often we talk about the importance of knowing God personally. Of having a relationship with Him that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you're you can try all this other stuff I'm going to talk about today, and it's probably not going to work. Now, it is true that whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not, biblical principles do work. For instance, in your finances, if you follow the principles laid out in the Scripture, you'll probably be doing pretty well with your finances, whether you're a believer or not. But most of the blessings that come from following Jesus and being obedient to Him only come to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have that personal relationship. And we see evidence of that here. We know that, that God was a personal God to David. You know how we know that? First of all, look at all the, the first-person pronouns here. God is not just a God. He's, to David, my God. He says, you're my salvation. You're my God. You're the God of my life. You're my rock, my exceeding joy. So he wasn't just some generic God out there. He was David's God. He had a, a personal relationship with him. But there's something even further other than, than those personal pronouns that we see here that, that indicates this idea that David had this personal relationship. You will notice if you look through here that I think if I counted right, 
in the two Psalms, 19 times the word God is used, which is the Hebrew word Elohim. And that is just kind of the generic name, if you might want to say it, for God. You have to look at context to determine, is it God, the one God, or is it a God? You know, it's God with a small g. And, and so David, he calls God 11 times, or six times, I guess, um, before verse 8 and 11 times after. I think it's actually 8 and 11, if I, I might put up numbers up there wrong. But he calls him God, but right in the middle. And if these two Psalms were one, you know what the middle verse would be? Verse 8 of Psalm 42. And right in the middle, what does he call him? He says, my Lord, my, my Yahweh. That was the, the personal covenant name of God that indicated this relationship what, what, that God had with his people. And I think that was the turning point for David when, when he could say, you're not just a God, you're my Lord. That he was able to work his way through that, that aloneness and that loneliness that he felt. So that has to be the first thing. If you don't have a relationship with God, none of the rest of this stuff, frankly, is going to work. So you have to start there. The next thing we can do as we pray through these alone times is to be honest with God. I love that here. We've talked about last week that these, these psalms that we're looking at in this series, that they're honest, they're raw. I mean, David just, he pours out his heart to God here. He's not afraid to do that. And I think sometimes we're afraid to do that, aren't we? Like, somehow like God can't take it. But let's face it, God already knows everything you're thinking already, right? So why not have a conversation with God about those things that are going on in your mind? And that's what David does here. He says, God, I'm being overwhelmed by all these enemies around me. They're going around and saying to you, hey, where's your God now? And he felt like that he'd been rejected. He felt like that he'd been left alone. He felt like God had, had forgotten him. And so he just tells God that. Now there is, I think, a line we can cross. If we come to the point where we begin to blame God for things that he's, that he's not doing or we begin to accuse God of doing things that are outside of his character, then, then there's probably a problem. But I don't think David crossed that line here. He's just being honest. God, I feel like I'm forgotten. I feel like you've rejected me. And sometimes we just need to be honest with God about, about how we're feeling. And when we do that, God can use that process as we discuss those things and talk about those things to draw us back to Him. I mean, the Bible is filled with examples of some very godly men who had those kind of conversations with God. Not only David, but think about people like Moses had some conversations like that, right? Elijah definitely had some conversations. I, I think Peter had those kind of conversations. John the Baptist sure did. But the thing was, they had those conversations and then they finally came to realize that, that God hadn't left them at all. He was there all along, but they had to have the conversation. And so we need to have that conversation and be honest with God. The next thing that we need to do is to, is to not expect a quick fix. That's what we always want, isn't it? Like, man, God, if you, again, it kind of goes back to this idea, God, just give me a plan and I'll do it. Or just give me the magic words to pray, God, that'll, that'll take care of my loneliness, that'll take care of my depression, and I'll do it. But we don't see that at all here with David. As a matter of fact, if you look at the structure of these two psalms, you'll see that David goes through these four cycles of lament and hope, lament and hope, lament and hope, lament and hope. 
And I think that pattern is really instructive here because what it shows us is that David doesn't get a quick fix. He goes to God and he, he takes that lament there. He says, God, this is how I'm feeling. And then he comes back and says, but God, I'm going to hope in you. But God, I feel like I'm forgotten. Well, but I'm going to hope in you. And he goes back and forth and back and forth. And, and I think to be real honest, most of us, that's what happens, right? When we're alone, we don't get a quick fix. Things aren't always going to go back to normal. They're not going to be made right all at once. It sometimes takes us going through that cycle three and four and five and six times. But we just have to be persistent in doing that. What we can't do is allow our our aloneness, allow our depression to, to take control. We have to keep fighting the battle. And we see that even with David. He gets to the end of these two Psalms and not, everything's still not fixed. He still says, I'm still fighting the battle. I'm still, God, I'm still trying to find, find hope in you as I lay my life before you. But he doesn't expect a quick fix. He perseveres and we need to do the same thing. The next thing we need to do as we, as we pray to God is to focus on God's character and not my circumstances. Now, David does lay his circumstances before God. He says, yeah, God, these people are chasing me. I mean, my own son is trying to kill me. I can't go worship with the people I used to worship. But the thing is, he doesn't sit there and dwell on them. He kind of lays them before God and then just leaves them there. And he doesn't dwell on them over and over and over again. But what he does dwell on is the character of God. You see him constantly going back and remembering the things that God has done in his life over and over again. I think the key to this, this, whole, this whole process or this whole uh, part of praying to God about our aloneness is really summed up in verse 3 of chapter 43. It says this, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling." Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, God, I'm not going to be led in life by my circumstances. I'm not going to live life according to my feelings. I'm going to live life according to who you are, what your character is, because that never changes. I can depend on that all the time. Now, for us, how do we do that? We go back to God's word, right? Because that's where God reveals himself to us. That's where we see his character. That's where we see the things like David saw here, like God's steadfast love that he's going to focus on. He focuses on the fact that God is his rock. God is his salvation. God is his refuge. He can can take refuge in God. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do, is that if you haven't already done this, is to to find some passages in the Scripture that can kind of be like your go-to places. When you're feeling all alone, that you can go back to God's Word and you can say, God, based on what your Word says, I know I'm not alone. I know that you're with me. Now, I'd encourage you to memorize a couple of those. I know that's a dirty word for some of you. But if you can't do that, at least know where to find them. And I'm going to give you three this morning that I think are a good place to go, a good starting point. First one's found in Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 8. And I'm going to come back to that one a little later on at the end of the message this morning because I think it's such a great passage. Probably my favorite, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is Isaiah chapter 43. I know you've heard me use it before. It's, the, it's the, the passage in Isaiah where it talks about the fact that when we go through the waters, we won't be drowned. We go the, through the fires, we won't be burned up. And the reason is because God is with us. That's a great passage to go to. Another one is Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, 
where God promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so I'd encourage you, memorize those, write them down, find them, put them in a place where you can find them. And when you're feeling alone, you go back and you focus on God's character and not on your circumstances. The, the next one here, the next step we need to take, and this is the one I talked to the kids about this morning, is to praise God even when I don't feel like it. David didn't feel like praising God, but what does he do? That verse that's repeated time after time again, yet I will praise him, yet I will praise him again, yet I will praise him again. And what David's saying is, I might not feel like praising God right now, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And you know what? I have found, I don't know about you, but I find when I'm, I'm pitying myself, when when things are going tough, that if I'll spend time praising God, that's the, that's the best way to be taken out of that, that loneliness and depression, is to just praise God. Uh, that's why I love one of the songs that we sing, a song called Yes, I Will. Because here's what it says in the, the chorus of that song. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valleys. Yes, I will. I'll bless your name. Yes, I will. I'll sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, oh yes, I will. And that ought to be what we're doing all the time. We ought to be praising God regardless of how we feel emotionally. So when I'm feeling all alone, it's more important to pursue God than to pursue a plan. We've seen that this morning. There's one last one, and somehow the slide didn't get up there for some reason. I don't know how this happened, but it's not really part of the prayer, but it's this idea that we need to make sure that we're constantly in fellowship with other Christians, that we don't isolate ourselves. I don't remember exactly how I put it. Don't become isolated, thank you. It's like all of a sudden I looked up there and that slide is missing, so I'm not sure where that went. But that, that's really important. It's not part of our prayer, but you can see it here with David, right? He says, I long for the time when I can go back and I can worship with my, my brothers and sisters. And over this, this past year and a half, it's really easy to have become isolated. It's really easy to get comfortable just, you know, frankly, being at church at home in your pajamas like we've talked about before. And so I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to see all of you here. I'm still missing some of you, that, and I know there's some legitimate reasons why some of you still can't be with us. Thank you for the technology that, that allows you to be with us. We're grateful that you join us each week consistently. A lot of you have been doing that all along, so we're grateful for that. But there's something about being together with other brothers and sisters in Christ that is really, I think, one of the best antidotes to this idea of feeling lonely. And so... If you're unable to come and be with us at church, at least find some way to have some fellowship with some other Christians. We'd love to see you back again. I mean, I'd love to see your smiling face. And, and, and it's nice to not preach to an empty room, to be real honest, to actually see people at least once in a while, those of you who are awake, nod your head or stuff like that. So, so do that. So to take us back to this big idea again, it's so important that we pursue God and not pursue a plan. And, and so let me f speak first to those of you who may have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. As I pointed out earlier, none of this stuff's probably going to work if you don't have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And if, if that describes you, we would love to help you walk through that process of becoming a disciple of Jesus, of committing your life to him. But you got to let us know. We can't help you unless you let us know. And in just a moment, I'll, I'll share with you how you can let us know that you'd like us to walk through that process with you. For the rest of us that have already done that, I want to suggest something very practical for you to do. You notice I've, I've left you a spot on your sermon outline if you printed one out. We'll, we'll start printing them again next week and having those to hand out for you. Um, if you don't have that, you can take a blank piece of paper or something else, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down Deuteronomy 31.8. It's up on the screen right now. And then, this week, I want to encourage you to memorize that verse. I know there's that nasty word again. Uh, I think it would be great. Or if you don't want that one, go take one of the other verses I suggested earlier. Maybe Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. That's a good one. There's parts of Isaiah 43 that you could do that as well. But write that down. I'm going to give you a second to do it right now. Because if I, if I tell you to do it later, you won't do it later. I know how this works. So take a moment just to go ahead and write that down if you have something to write that down on, whether you're here in person or at home watching us. I'm convinced that everyone that's here, if you, if you can write that down, you can memorize it. And then use that during those times when loneliness comes in. Fact is, we, we live in a world where we are going to feel lonely sometimes. Sometimes we bring that on ourselves. Sometimes circumstances bring that about. But if you're not feeling lonely right now, chances are you will one day. I read a, a survey this week. It was done back in January 2020 before all the, the pandemic happened. It said that three out of five Americans say that they're lonely or depressed. So chances are a lot of you fit that bill. If you don't, you probably will someday. But here's the good news. If you will pursue God, He will take away that loneliness as you have a relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we don't have to be alone. You've promised You'd never leave us or forsake us. And I pray this morning that each person that's joining us today, whether they're here in person, whether they're joining us online, that that you would just really encourage them with that idea. I pray that they would take the time to memorize some scriptures that remind us of that fact. And Father, for those who might be joining us today who have never entered into a personal relationship with you, I pray today you draw them. I know there's nothing I can say to convince them to give their life to Jesus, but you can. And so I pray that you would do that, Father, for their good and for your glory. Father, help us to understand that we never need to be alone and that when we are, that we can pursue you and that as we do that, Father, that you will love us, draw us close to you, Father. Thank you for that. Thank you that you're our rock, that you're our refuge, that you're our exceeding joy, that you're our salvation. Father, we're grateful for all that. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.